Hello, you're listening to Murder Bird, a podcast where we look at crimes involving women and girls. My name's Sophie. This week's episode involves descriptions of violence and sexual assault. I will put the timestamps of when I start talking about this in a bit more detail if you do want to skip over. I also want to give you fair warning as well. This week, we look at the story of Yingying Zhang. Yingying Zhang was born on the 21st of December 1990 in Nanping, a small city in the Fujian province of China. She was the daughter of Ronggao Zhang and Lai Feng Yi, and she was the older sister of her brother, Shen Yang. As she grew up, she started playing in a band and expressed an interest in becoming a professor. In 2013, she graduated from Sun Yat-sen University at the top of her class, and in 2016, she graduated from Peking University. In April 2017, when she was just 26 years old, Yingying travelled to the US as a visiting scholar of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. She was to conduct research on photosynthesis and crop productivity for one year at the Department of Natural Resources and Natural Sciences at the University of Illinois. She was considering entering a doctoral programme at the University of Illinois whilst she was visiting, However, she knew that ultimately she wanted to return to China to teach once achieving her doctorate. Another driving force of her desire to return to China was that she was due to marry her fiancé Xiao Lin Hu on October 2017. Yingying had met Xiao Lin whilst they studied together at Sun Yat-sen University in 2009. They had finished number one and number two in their graduating class in 2013 and they had continued their education together at Peking University. Overall, it was an exciting period of Yingying's life. Her academic career was flourishing, she was abroad for the first time in her life, and her wedding was set to take place by the end of the year. Yingying had everything going for her. On Friday the 9th of June 2017, Yingying went to the University of Illinois' Turner Hall to conduct some research. That same morning, she arranged to meet with Ron Trez Stone, a marketing manager for the One North apartment complex, so she could sign a new lease. She had only been in the US for two months, but she felt ready to find a new place so she could start saving some money and maybe even find a roommate. They arranged their meeting for later that afternoon. At around 12.30, Yingying returned to her apartment in Orchard Downs to have some lunch. As she didn't have a car, and her apartment was on the south side of the university campus, she needed to make sure she left enough time to eat and then catch the two buses up to the north side of campus. At 1.35pm, Yingying boards the Champaign-Urbana Mass District Teal Line bus at the Orchard Downs bus shelter. 
Yingying sends a text four minutes later to inform Rontrez that she was running late, but to expect her at around 2.10pm. At 1.52pm, Yingying exits the bus at the intersection of West Springfield Avenue and North Matthews Avenue. This stop is approximately a seven-minute drive to the apartment complex where she was due to meet Rontrez, but it was a 30-minute walk, which is not an option when you're already running late. Instead, Yingying tried flagging down the connecting bus that would take her straight to the apartment complex. However, despite her efforts, it did not stop. She ran after it, trying to catch up for almost a block, but it ultimately pulled away and Yingying was left stranded. It was learned that the reason why the bus did not stop for Yingying was because she was on the wrong side of the street for boarding. It is against company policy for drivers to stop for passengers on the wrong side of the road, as this would encourage them to run into oncoming traffic. In a tragic twist of fate, if Yingying had been able to board this bus, then she would likely still be with us today. Instead, Yingying went to the next bus stop at Clark and Goodwin Avenue, directly in front of the university's radio and television station, to wait for the next bus. At 2pm, 10 minutes before she was due to meet at the apartment, surveillance cameras caught a black Saturn Astra passing by Yingying as she stood alone at the bus stop. A few minutes later, the car had circled back and had stopped next to Yingying where she stood waiting. For one minute, Yingying and the driver of the car had a conversation and at 2.04pm, Yingying got into the front passenger seat of the car and they drove northbound on Goodwin Avenue. 34 minutes later, Rontrez sent a text to Yingying to ask when she was expected to arrive for their meeting. They never received a response and the meeting never went ahead. As the hours passed, Yingying's colleagues began to grow concerned that she had not returned from her quick meeting to sign an apartment lease. The messages sent by colleagues, friends and her fiancé were not read nor received and the worry began to grow. Finally, at 9.24pm on the 9th of June, a University of Illinois associate professor reported Yingying missing to the university police. A $10,000 reward was set for any information leading to Yingying's whereabouts and the university's large Chinese student population helped coordinate search efforts on and around campus. It was quickly learned by police that Yingying had not turned up to the meeting with Rontrez and a search of her apartment found that it was secured and vacant. They began to canvas areas where she might have gone and found that the last time her cell phone pinged to a tower was at 2.28pm, possibly in downtown Champaign. There were no sightings of her but police continued to search and review hours of video from the MTD bus system and from university security cameras. On Saturday the 10th of June, Officer Tara Hurlis 
identified video of Ying Ying getting on the bus and going to Springfield and Matthews. This then led to a natural snowball effect and on Monday the 12th of June they found the footage of Ying Ying getting into the black Saturn Astra. The case from this point was treated as a federal kidnapping case and the FBI got involved. Ying Ying's disappearance was publicised and it was reported that the FBI were looking for a black Saturn Astra to assist with their inquiries. They obtained a list of 2008 Saturn Astras registered in the Champaign County area and began combing through. Luckily, this model of car was only produced for a few years and there wasn't many to go through. There were only 26 registered in the Champaign County and only 18 of those were four-door hatchbacks, the model that was caught on the video footage. On the evening of the 12th of June, FBI agents began the task of interviewing all of the Saturn Astra owners in the Champaign County area. As the licence plate could not be read on the footage, they had to rely on the list of vehicle owners to assist with the investigation. At 8.10pm on the 12th of June, law enforcement personnel visited 2503 West Springfield Avenue. They understood the owner of a four-door black Saturn Astra was supposed to live there and when they arrived at the apartment complex, they spotted the exact make, model and colour of car parked peacefully in the parking lot. The owner of this vehicle and the next person to be interviewed by FBI agents Michael Carter and Joel Smith was 28-year-old Brent Allen Christensen, a Champaign resident and a former PhD student of the University of Illinois. Brent was married and his wife was present during his interview with the agents. However, they quickly discovered that Brent's wife had been out of town that weekend. Brent also claimed it was an open marriage and he had a girlfriend named Tara. Brent spoke calmly to the agents and was compliant with their questioning. He told them he had heard of the missing scholar and he was aware that his car matched the description of the one seen in the video footage. When asked where he had been between 2 and 3pm on Friday the 9th of June, Brent initially told the agents that he couldn't remember, despite it only being two days prior. The agents asked him to check his text. Maybe that will prompt his memory. And he told them he had received a text from his girlfriend at around 1pm, but he hadn't actually responded until 4pm. Brent mused whether this had been because he was sleeping during that time, or maybe he had just been playing video games. Pick one, he doesn't care which. The FBI agents asked if they could conduct a quick search of his car, which he consented to. However, nothing was found or removed at this time. The agents left and Brent and his wife Michelle went about their evening business, as any normal couple would. But this night would prove slightly different for Brent. He excused himself and went down to his car in the parking lot and he cleaned it. Again, 
Sure, he had cleaned it over the weekend, and there was nothing obviously wrong with the interior. But what else is there to do at 9pm on a Monday night, except clean your car again? Okay, maybe I'm being unfair. That's not the only thing he did that Monday evening. He also put in a maintenance request at his apartment to have the grout in his bathroom treated for mould. And he also cleared the browsing history from his Google Chrome web browser. If he hadn't cleared the history, we could have seen that over the weekend, he searched for information on iPhone tracking. But Brent didn't own an iPhone. Ying Ying did. So who is this Brent? Brent Allen Christensen was born on the 30th of June 1989. He attended the University of Wisconsin at Madison where he met his wife Michelle and he was accepted into the University of Illinois doctorate program in physics. They moved to Champaign-Urbana in 2013. In his own words, Brent is highly intellectual and led a double life. In 2016, he'd began to develop interest in serial killers, fascinated by the men who acted alone for their own gratifications. He was fascinated in particular by one serial killer, I'll give you a guess, Ted Bundy, obviously. Oh, and he loved the book American Psycho, because of course he did. In the spring of 2017, he researched serial killers on his computer and mobile and downloaded photos of women in bondage. He visited websites that discussed kidnappings and abductions and explored so-called consensual abductions online. And in March of 2017, he ordered a six-foot-long duffel bag from Amazon. Why? Whilst these fascinations grew, other aspects of his life deteriorated. His grades suffered and he dropped out of the doctorate programme and instead enrolled on the master's programme and his marriage began to break down. February 2017 was the birth of the Christensen open marriage, partly because Michelle, sick of Brent's bullshit and the abuse of alcohol and prescription drugs, had actually began to date other men. This was, apparently, in full agreement with Brent, who then also started to date other women. He would meet them online via dating sites, and in 2017, he started dating his girlfriend, Tara, who he met on OkCupid. Tara introduced him to BDSM. Self-described double-lifer, Brent briefly revealed a slice of his double life to a counsellor at the University Counselling Centre. He had initially said the reason for visiting was because his wife wanted to separate as she didn't like his drinking. But 40 minutes into the interview, the counsellor asked him why he had noted on his paperwork that he thought of harming others. He said he was always interested in bad guys and that he had gone to the online forums for serial killers that fascinated him. Again, he said Ted Bundy was really attractive and that he had intricate thoughts of abducting and killing someone 
including how to do it and who he would want to kill. And after disclosing all that, nothing happened. Brent would often use a website called FetLife, a social network for people interested in BDSM, fetishism and kink, to discuss his abduction fantasy with other women online. He told one woman on this website that he would like to bind and gag her and then put her into a duffel bag and onto the back seat of his car. He really did leave a paper trail of these fascinations developing into obsessions so we can see a clear escalation of how his imagination just wasn't cutting it anymore. His online fascination continued and by the end of May 2017 he had tread further down the darkened path Texting his girlfriend, Tara, and this is the text that I'm going to read out. Fading into nothingness is the default for most people. You want to know what terrifies me? It's that. I will not fade away. I refuse. I don't care how I will be remembered. Just that I am. Good, bad, revered, infamous. I don't care. Think back over the past 2,000 years. Who do you know? The people who pushed limits and those who supported them. Fading into nothingness is not an option. (laughs) I would rather destroy humanity than let that happen. I know most would disagree. (sighs) Ugh. So gross and insufferable. 2,000 years, are you fucking having a laugh, mate? That is the most arrogant, self-absorbed, narcissistic bullshit I've ever read in my life. He thinks he's going to be remembered 2,000 years from now. Are you having a laugh, mate? Tell me one person you remember from 2,000 years ago. Cleopatra? Maybe, I don't know. But it's certainly not. Pathetic little doughboys who murder an innocent person and then go to prison for the rest of their lives. Spoiler alert. (laughs) It's not Ted Bundy. He's not going to be remembered to... Name me a serial killer that's not Jack the Ripper from the past 150 years. I'll answer that for you. You can't. Because they're not and they shouldn't. People, royal people, rich people... People who commit mass genocide, they're the ones that are remembered, not you. (laughs) I'm writing an episode about you and I can barely remember your name. I have to keep double checking it's not Ben or Brett. And you think you're going to go down in history? Get fucked, idiot. There you go, that's my tangent of the episode. Unfortunately, Brent would soon be given an ideal opportunity to act out the fantasies and fascinations that had been broiling under the surface for so long. His wife was leaving town for the weekend of the 9th of June with her boyfriend to go to the Wisconsin Dells. Brent would have the entire weekend to himself. In preparation, Brent ordered another duffel bag that arrived on the 6th of June. It was made from a super tough, heavyweight cotton canvas. It was six feet long and two feet wide. Brent waited for the weekend. 
We're back to the morning of the 9th of June and whilst Ying Ying was working on the south side of campus, Brent was on a shopping trip to Schnuck's grocery store near his home. More like Schmuck's. <laughs> if Brent is shopping there, am I right? Because he's trash? He was wearing a black t-shirt with mirrored aviator sunglasses and whilst there he purchased a bottle of Admiral Nelson's Spice Rum. When he got home, he shaved off the facial hair he would normally wear. He then spent the rest of the morning driving around the university campus looking for his perfect opportunity. At 9.30am, he spotted Emily Hogan, a graduate of the University of Illinois, who was walking to a nearby bus stop alone. Brent pulled up next to her as she waited still wearing the black t-shirt and sunglasses, and he told her he was an undercover police officer. He pulled out a fake badge and asked Emily if he could ask her a few questions. Emily obliged, but when Brent asked her to get into the car, she declined, sensing something weird about this self-entitled, sweaty little boy in sunglasses too big for his face. Brent, the guy going down in ancient history, remember? quickly backtracked and told Emily, well, if you see anything suspicious, call the police, and he drove off. Ever the law-abiding citizen, Emily did see something suspicious, and she did call the police, immediately reporting the weirdo who had tried getting her into this car. She also posted a warning on Facebook, a warning that Ying Ying unfortunately did not see that day. At 12pm, when Ying Ying would have been eating her lunch at home, Brent texts Terra saying, You don't do the anything casual thing, from breathing to fine dining, to dot dot dot, murder. And honestly, I, I don't know what he was trying to say here, context or no context. It, it's like he was trying to be the most insufferable loser on the planet. At 1.30pm, Brent was driving around campus again and it was at 1.57pm that he spotted Ying Ying running for her missed bus. He circled round to follow her and pulled up when he saw she was stood alone at the bus stop. Brent pulled the same undercover cop bit he did with Emily but unfortunately this time it was successful and Ying Ying entered the vehicle. This next part will describe what happened to Ying Ying after she got into Brent's car. I won't obviously go into obscene detail, but I will be describing violence and sexual assault. So if you would prefer to skip this, then please do. I'll put the timestamp in the episode or show notes um, so you can skip forward. Brent took Ying Ying back to his apartment vacated of both wife and girlfriend, and overpowered her. Ying Ying was barely five foot four and weighed 110 pounds, which is about seven stone. And Brent, in comparison, was six foot tall and well over 200 pounds, which is about 14 stone. He bound her hands in the car and disabled her iPhone so they couldn't be tracked. At the apartment... He took her to the bedroom where he cut off her clothes and raped her. 
He then choked her for about 10 minutes while she continued to fight for her life. He took her to the bathroom where he allegedly hit her with a baseball bat as hard as he could. Ying Ying grabbed for the knife that he had stabbed her in the neck with but Brent managed to overpower her again and eventually decapitates her. Ying Ying, a highly educated and promising young woman, living her life abroad for the first time, thousands of miles from home, was 26 years old. Brent then has the clean-up all planned out. He destroys the evidence, getting rid of her iPhone, clothes and backpack, and then moves Ying Ying's remains before cleaning the apartment and his car. On Sunday, he bought more Drano and Swiffer pads from Walmart, and by the time his wife returns home on Sunday evening, there is no visible sign of the atrocities that took place on Friday. Brent has committed the perfect crime. Or so he thinks. The search for Ying Ying continued Tuesday 13th and Wednesday 14th of June. Areas are canvassed by police and FBI and video footage is reviewed in the hopes of being able to identify the licence place of the Astra, but to no avail. Except on the 14th of June, Officer James Carter was reviewing video when he noticed a defect on the front right hubcap of the car. A piece missing between the edge of the hubcap and the edge of the tyre. He also noticed that the Astra had a sunroof. Guess who else had a four-door Astra with a sunroof? Special Agent Joel Smith also recalled a four-door Astra with a sunroof and at around 5.50pm on the same day, he and another agent went back to Brent's apartment to confirm their suspicions. Oh yeah, sunroof. Oh yeah, and also a defect on the front right hubcap. And on Thursday the 15th of June... FBI agents in UIPD offices woke up Brent and his wife telling them they had a search warrant for the Astra and would Brent be willing to speak with them again? He agreed. Brent was taken to the FBI office for his interview whilst his wife stayed with special agents Andy Huckstad and Catherine Tanaglia to speak to them alone. This is when they learn about Tara, the open marriage girlfriend. Michelle also signs a consent to search the apartment. The computers are seized, as well as his mobile phone, and a pair of mirrored aviator sunglasses. Brent's interview was audio and video recorded. He repeated the lie that he had been home all day on the 9th, either sleeping or playing video games. The agents rebuffed this, telling Brent they had video of his Saturn Astra driving around campus that morning. When Brent was shown the video the officers were referring to, he said, Uh, yeah, I see the car, but I can't see myself driving it. Nice one! Whoa! You really threw them with that one, Brent. Guess we need Scooby and the gang to solve the mystery of the self-driving Saturn Astra, you self-obsessed edgelord. Detective Stiverson, one of the detectives conducting the interview, shared our sentiments about Brent and interrupted him, telling him he knew he had picked up Ying Ying in his Saturn Astra. This, and this alone, seemed to be enough 
to rattle Brent into kind of admitting that he did pick up Ying Ying, his demeanour changed and he began to breathe heavily and started shaking. He took a long pause before agreeing, maybe he mixed up Friday and Saturday. Then he said he did pick up a girl, but he didn't think it was Ying Ying. He said she had been distressed and was late for an appointment, so he gave her a ride. She spoke broken English and became freaked out when he made a wrong turn, so she got out of the car. And why is this always the case when someone is so obviously guilty? They always say, oh, I was asleep. Oh, oh, I did pick her up in the middle of the night and no one's seen her since. But I just like dropped her off somewhere or she got out somewhere. And, you know, I've not seen her since, so it can't be me. It's always the same. If you think you're so clever, you know, try and think of a better lie, mate. Come on. Following this confession of picking someone up, Brent was detained on Thursday the 15th of June and his apartment was processed as a crime scene. Despite his cleaning efforts, multiple reddish stains were found on his mattress and on the wall next to the bed. They also checked the baseball bat that he had kept, the murder weapon, with luminol, which revealed more stains and these were also sent off for processing and DNA swabs. Brent was released from custody on Friday the 16th of June. His time inside must have rattled him a little bit as he returned on the 17th to voluntarily offer an explanation about the duffel bag. One of two duffel bags. He said he used it to transport a cat tree to his girlfriend. A cat tree that his girlfriend knew nothing about. He also offered voluntarily that if they found blood in the Astra, it must be his because he'd nicked his finger. And then he also repeated the same story of, I picked someone up, but I dropped them off and it's not me. When they asked him to pinpoint where the woman had gotten out of the car, he couldn't be specific or give a definite answer. Whilst Brent was blundering around his perfect crime, the search for Ying Ying continued and her family had begun to arrive from China to the US. Her fiancé, Lin also flew over, and he, together with members of the Chinese Students' Association at the university, organised a vigil to try and drive more information about what happened and where Yingying was. They called it the Memorial Walk, and it was scheduled to take place on the 29th of June, 20 days after Yingying had last been seen alive. As well as Ying Ying's family and friends, there was another couple present at the walk, Brent and Terra. Brent had told Terra he wanted to attend because I just want to see how many people are here. They are here just for me. And just in case that was too subtle, he then confessed to Terra about what he'd done during the memorial walk. He told her how he'd kidnapped her and murdered her He described how she had fought for her life. He described how he had killed her, including the use of the baseball bat, and how he had eventually decapitated her. He told Terra that Ying Ying is gone and she is never going to be found, adding, the FBI has looked for her. They don't know where she is. Apparently, I'm very good at this. Prick. 
When Terra asked if the authorities would be able to catch him, he replied, they have the bat I hit her head with. He also bragged he had killed before, claiming 13 victims, and that he had been killing since he was 19 years old. Ying Ying was just the only person who had produced evidence leading back to him. Weirdly, Brent could not, or would not, disclose the name of these victims or any other details, which is so weird and absolutely means he's full of shit. And by the way, it was proven false, obviously, because he's a fucking edgelord. Unfortunately for Brent, throughout his whole confession, Terra had been wearing a wire. A wire that recorded his whole spiel for the FBI, who arrested him the next day on the 30th of June. Another search of the apartment was conducted and a cadaver dog named Sage indicated the presence of the smell of cadaver in the bathroom and various other stains were found under the bed and under the carpet. The DNA swabs taken from these stains and the stains from the previous search matched Ying Ying. The trial for Ying Ying's kidnapping and murder began in June 2019 and on the 24th of June 2019, a 12-member jury deliberated for less than two hours before returning its verdict. Guilty of one count of kidnapping resulting in death and two counts of making false statements to the FBI. The jury could not unanimously agree on a death sentence, so on the 18th of July 2019, Brent was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Unfortunately, Ying Ying's remains and belongings were never found. Brent disclosed in November 2018 that he had put her dismembered body in three separate garbage bags and then spread her belongings out in different dumpsters across the Champaign-Urbana area. Recovery for her remains and belongings would be difficult due to the frequency of the dumpsters being emptied and compacted and the search has not yet begun. Her family and fiancé left the US without her body or being able to lay her to rest properly. Brent currently resides in prison and he will, for the rest of his pathetic life, rotting in a grey concrete cell. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Murderbird. If you want to support us, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MurderbirdPod. If you have any questions or anything, please feel free to contact me on social media. Otherwise, I will be back with the first episode of season two. So, I'll see you then.